to us through your word. That God, most of all, uh, in the midst of, of everything that we face, in the midst of the, the struggles with COVID, in the midst of, of even uh, the racial unrest and uh, different things like that, God, let us know, number one, that we are all, first of all, part of the human race. That God, you made every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And that God, the beauty of this is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that we are all created in your image. We are all in your likeness and that you want to work uh, in each and every one of us. God, may our hearts be changed by the truth of your word. Reveal to us and show to us where we um, maybe have been misled by worldly ideas and not uh, built our lives upon the biblical truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you uh, to turn to James James chapter four, we're continuing our James sermon series. And today's sermon title is this idea of pursuing God over worldliness. And I want you to think about this idea when we talk about pursuing God over worldliness, we have to begin to understand what this means and how this plays out in this idea. Matter of fact, we started a little bit of it last week when we talked about submitting yourselves to God. Matter of fact, if you know anything about James, and I've stressed this over and over and over again, James chapter one, verses 18 through 20, I believe are kind of the thesis uh, of James. He says, everyone should be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. But we live in a world right now that is quick to not hear, is very quick to speak and very quick to anger. And what the Bible lays out for us is this idea that when we're quick to listen, we learn to listen to the people around us. When we're slow to speak, then we don't let the, the words that maybe are running around in our minds and our thought processes just come out. We, you know, I, listen, I've been guilty of in times past where I have just said something, whether it's to my wife or to my kids or maybe in a rude comment to a, a, a person who maybe did something on the road or did something to me in front, like, like cutting in front of me and things like that. We've all been guilty of that. And we said this in the past, that there's a reason why God gave us one mouth and two ears, so you can listen twice as much as you talk. But this idea of being slow to anger is another thing that is honestly, in, in what we see going on today, is something that is far from the truth in most people's lives. Matter of fact, we're slow to hear, we're quick to speak, and we're very quick to anger and judgment, all right? We're quick to become people who are angry and judgmental. And so we talk about this. James, I believe, is concerned that your Christianity is a practical Christianity, not a theoretical Christianity. In other words, that it's impacting your life. It's impactful to those who are around you, not just informational. I believe one of the struggles that the church had in the past is we talk about discipleship, that the discipleship is this idea of taking all kinds of information, but then we don't require our people to live it out. As a matter of fact, I say that because I want you to understand the Bible talks about like biblical discipline and things. And, and, and honestly, when we talk about it, this idea of biblical discipline and church discipline, when you start to ask people about anybody ever seen church discipline practiced in the life of a church, most people say no. And, and so those are things that we begin to see that Christianity for most was not practical, but was rather more theoretical. That Christianity was more informational than impactful. 
And so many people communicate that they're Christians, but how many Christians truly have a growing and thriving faith? I believe that part of what's going on in the world right now is honestly, to a certain extent, a sifting of believers. It's a weeding out. It's kind of the, 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 the cream of the crop rises to the top and others drift on to worldliness. And I want you to think about this because we talked about this last week. Worldliness is an expression of the heart that does not authentically include God. In other words, worldliness is, a, is, is this idea of that I am independent from God. I don't want God involved in my life. It's this idea that God, I've got control of my life and when I need you, I'll call for you, otherwise leave me alone, right? Like this is what oftentimes happens in our world, Worldliness is conforming to this world and letting the values of this world determine who we are, how we think, and how we act. When the truth of the matter is, who we are is based upon the truth of scripture, that you and I are created in God's image, that in the midst of that, that God has something great in store for you. So that's how we determine who we are. But then we gotta think about this, how we think and how we act. Every bit of who we are and how we think should be built upon the biblical precedent that we begin to look at and dig into in God's word. The biblical truth of what God is trying to teach. So how we think and how we act based upon not worldly opinions, but rather biblical truth. And so we jump into James chapter four, starting in verse seven. Listen to what he says. Submit yourselves then to who? To God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Listen, as we jump into this, we're, 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 we're identifying or pursuing this idea of, 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 of literally the pursuing God over worldliness. Remember, we talk about quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I believe James chapter four is an intro or a beginning point to show us what it means to be slow to anger. And this whole idea we talk about in James chapter four, verse one, says what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the evil desires that war within? In other words, the reason we have conflict, the reason we lash out in anger is we expected maybe to be treated in some way or spoken to in some way, and yet we didn't get it. And so as a result, that causes a fight and a quarrel among you. In other words, that's the worldliness that's creeping in to our heart. And so if we've been contaminated by the world, if we've been tempted by the world or if we're struggled with dealing with worldly thoughts, then I believe that these are now the actions in verses seven through 12, the actions that we need to put into progress to deal with the worldliness that's within. Keep in mind, James is written to a body of believers who are struggling because they have treated rich people better than poor people. 
They were playing favoritism. They weren't living out the word. A matter of fact, it says, remember, he says, be not, don't be mere hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. They weren't living the word out. They would talk about the word. They would, they would meditate on the word. But when it came to actually doing the word or being obedient to what God had called them to do, they, had, they weren't doing it. And so today, I believe, is this. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that the antidote to worldliness and sin is humble submission in drawing near to God. The antidote to worldliness and sin in my life is humble submission in drawing near to God. So we're gonna unpack this idea and I wanna ask this question. How then do I abstain from this worldliness that we're talking about? How do I abstain from acting out of anger? How do I abstain from doing what God is calling me not to do? How do I do what I'm supposed to do? And I believe he answers it in three very easy, simple things for us to look at. Number one is this. It comes out of the very first word of verse seven. What's he say? Submit. Now, I, I jokingly say this a lot, and you're going to hear it, and it is loving terms of endearment. Um, but my wife and I kind of have ongoing little jokes. And I'll say things like this Submit, woman. Know your role. And I know I'm completely joking, but at the same time, I want you to understand what submission means, okay? And I'm not talking about submission my way. I'm talking about your and my submission to God. Listen to what he says. Submit yourselves then to God. If I want to overcome worldliness, then I have to submit to God. That means that I place myself under the authority of God, much like a chain of command in the military, in other words, I no longer put myself on the pedestal to be number one, that I am number three in reality based upon biblical perspective, based upon biblical truth. How am I number three? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. In reality, a humility that takes place when I submit myself to God says, God first, other second, me what? Third. Submitting myself to God literally means that I place myself under the authority of God, much like the chain of command that we talk about in the military. See, everyone, and I want you to think about this, everyone is submissive to something. You ever thought about that? Everyone is submissive to something. It may be another individual, maybe a boss, maybe a coworker, it may be a spouse, it may be that you are submissive to someone or even something else. You allow things to control you based upon what you do. Matter of fact, I'll use it this way. How many of you would say you're submissive to your boss? Y'all better raise your hand because last I checked is if you just decided I'm just not gonna show up for work and I'm not gonna call my boss, I'm not gonna tell him, he don't, I don't care about my boss, not gonna do it. What's your boss gonna do? Bye-bye. So you can't tell me you're not submissive to people. You're not submissive to your boss. There are all kinds of things. Matter of fact, you may be submissive in different ways. I believe that this is the, the reality that, what, that we need to understand. Submission... 
all right, is placing myself under the authority of God. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about submission, we know all throughout scripture that submission is used fairly consistently. Number one, and we're having a lot of struggles with this, and trust me, this comes from a heart of a pastor who likes to be the rebel and the renegade at times. But he says this, submission, number one, is used when we are told to submit to government, Romans chapter 13. How many of you in your mind, and I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but how many of you in your mind, when it comes down to it, when the government came out and said, you need to wear a mask indoors, went, yeah, whatever, bro, get out of here. You're not going to tell me what to do. What's Romans 13 say? I believe wholeheartedly is this idea. Submission is used throughout scripture where Christians are called to submit to government. Listen to me. To the degree that the government is legitimate. In other words, that the government is not calling us to stand against or go against God's word. Submission is used in another way when in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But I also want you to clarify, or I want to clarify this. If you know anything about that scripture, you also know in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21, it says that you are mutually submissive to one another. All right. The reason why a wife is to submit to her husband is because based upon the biblical thing, there is an authority that the husband has responsibility for. Now, that submission has oftentimes been sub, well, how would I would say this, kind of taken under control by certain people who try and make it a domineering dictatorship. That's not submission. That's slavery. And your wife is not called to be your slave. Your wife is called to submit to the God-given authority that you've placed. And if you're leading your family and you're leading your wife in the right way, then that is the authority that Christ has given you. But listen to me, if you step out of line of that authority, then your wife has every right not to listen to you. Now, you may disagree with that or not, but based upon scripture, that's what he's saying. Number three, I want you to understand this, that the Bible calls children to submit to their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. In other words, it's the God-given authority that God has placed upon parents over children. So submission, listen to me, is nothing new here. But I want you to understand that the church was fighting in a certain way. The church was fighting over who deserved more honor, the rich or the poor. And as a result, pride was welling up inside of some and humility was non-existent. So this idea of submission is huge. He says, submit yourselves to God. In other words, this idea of submission is this, that I abandon myself or abandoning oneself to God. In other words, I give God all authority. I say things like this, not my will, but yours be done. I will place my desires and my plans under the authority of God's desires and God's plans for me. Submission to God is how you begin to fight against the worldly passions and desires that oftentimes creep into the mind of a believer. That I submit myself to God. And listen to what he says. This is part of number one when we talk about submission to God. Listen to what he says though. Submit yourselves then to God and then what? resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I, I think about this whole idea of resist. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. 
That's literally what he's saying. He's, he's prowling around like a, a roaring lion, looking for those he can devour. And then it goes on and it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So when we get this idea that we submit ourselves to God, and at the same time in submitting ourselves to God, then we resist the devil. Now, I've heard people, maybe you've heard it in this way, and I, I'll say this, there is no easy way necessarily to resist the devil, especially if you've been in the world for so long. In other words, there are things in your life that you have probably held onto with such a tight grip that when we start talking about resisting the devil, there is no easy way in which we resist the devil. But I also want you to know this, that the devil, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no longer has power over you. There is no control. He has no authority. He no longer has power. All of that was taken care of by Jesus' death on the cross. So he has no power or authority over you if you are a believer. But he does have ways to trick you. He does have ways to tempt you. He does have ways to attack you. And keep in mind, always keep in mind, that if you don't resist the devil, he will work in ways that will get you to do this, to submit to him to submit to his desires, to submit to his will, to lead you down to a path of, or into a path of destruction and into a path of chaos because he has no other desire but to mislead you. Listen, here's what he says. Resist the devil and he will flee, what? From you. So there carries this idea. That as I submit to God, as I follow him in obedience, as I grow in his word, as he unleashes the power of the spirit in me because I'm feeding the spirit, I'm starving the flesh, I'm feeding a biblical worldview and I'm starving a worldly worldview or a, 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 an ungodly worldview. See, the whole idea is this, that the devil keeps us away from spiritual things. As a matter of fact, I'll even say this and I'm just gonna say it in a way that some people just aren't gonna like. And that's okay, you can just get over it. I believe wholeheartedly that in the midst of the chaos of what's going on, COVID and everything else, that Satan has used this as a way to keep people back and go, it's okay, you don't need to be a part of the body anymore, you can just watch it online. Now listen to me, and I say this cautiously because I believe online is a great tool to be used but when I know that people are going out to eat and I know you're going out and shopping and I know you're going to all these things and you go, I just don't need the church. I'll avoid church. I'll avoid meeting with the body, the gathering. I'll avoid doing those types of things. That's when you begin to look and go, wait a second. Because the truth of the matter is, if we've let the fear of a virus stop us from gathering as a church, then when persecution really comes and you have people stand at the door saying, you can't go in, you better not go in, or like what's going on in California, you better not be singing in church, then when true persecution happens, I can guarantee you I know the people who won't be in church. And I know I'm speaking to the choir to a certain extent, but I want us to understand this, that the devil's goal is always to keep us away from spiritual things, to give up on meeting or gathering, to keep you from reading the word, to keep you from praying. That's his whole point. If you were to jump to Luke chapter eight in the parable of the sower, what does it say about the devil? The birds come and they steal the, 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 the seeds of the gospel that have been planted along the soil, right? They've been planted along this path and the birds there come and do it and it says that's exactly what Satan does. He comes and steals the word right out of you. 
He comes and steals those seeds that have been planted, seeds of encouragement, seeds of hope, seeds of passion, seeds of salvation. And he steals that. And he says, listen, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what I believe most of us do and most people do is often we do this. We'll leave the door cracked. That's just a little. It's not that big a deal. But a cracked door is an easy door to walk through. Matter of fact, ask anybody who ever tries to rob. Matter of fact, we had some issues out here long time ago, I've told you the story where a guy broke into Ron McPhail's truck and was trying to steal it. And I took off running after him, chased him up the road and all this stuff. But when I was talking to the police after it, they said that 90% of all like break-ins, both car and like home things are usually crimes of opportunity. In other words, somebody left the door unlocked. Somebody left a wallet sitting on the console of the vehicle. It's called crimes of opportunity. And I look at it this way. Satan looks for every opportunity to break into your house, to steal, to kill, or destroy. And when you leave the door open, not just unlocked, but cracked open, guess who's going to come kicking it wide open to try and get into you? When this whole idea of resisting the devil is literally the idea that my doors are locked, that I am armed and ready for the invasion, that when Satan comes, I'm going to put every fight up against them, put up the good fight, the fight of faith, that is the reality of what takes God. So when we talk, or takes place. So when we understand this idea of submitting to God and resisting the devil, we have to understand that there is a battle there. I put myself under the authority of God, and at the same time, while I'm under the authority of God, through the power of the blood of Jesus on the cross, that now I resist the devil. I put up a fight. I fight against him. I do everything I can. See, we live in a world that's all based upon passivity. Oh, just, just be nice and everyone will be nice to you. But that's not the way Satan works. If you think being nice to Satan is gonna let you off the hook, that's not the way it works. People will be like, oh, you know what? I'll, cry. I'll split hell wide open one day when I get there. That's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. So, how do I grow or how do I abstain from worldliness? Then I, number one, I submit to God. And as a result of submitting to God, I resist the devil. Number two, listen to what he says. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God, maybe the version you say, says, and God will draw near to you. Listen, here's what ends up happening. God once has always wanted a close, intimate relationship with every one of us, but so many of us push God away. Listen to what he says again. Come near to God. Who, who takes the step? Because the reality is this. God is always walking towards us. God is pursuing you. God has always pursued you. God pursues all of humanity. He pursued him through the death of Jesus on the cross. God is pursuing a relationship to, to each and every one of us. But here's the easy way most of us respond. God's chasing It's kind of like, if you remember anything about elementary school, and at least when I grew up in elementary school, it was tag. And you always played tag with the people that you really liked, especially girls. And you'd be like, oh, I like her. I'm going to get her. We're going to play tag with her. And she's running. Most of us act like that. Oh, I got to get away. I got to run away from what's going on. What, what the reality is, is God is pursuing you and he says, come near to me. 
It's this idea of instead of running away from him, playing this tag, it's this idea that I am running or walking towards God, pursuing a relationship with him, a deeper relationship. So he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. See, when we draw near to God, he comes even closer to us. But listen to me, and I hope we understand this wholeheartedly, that we have to understand that we have to also make the step or take a step to draw near to him. We have to go near to him. We draw ourselves closer. Matter of fact, it's kind of like a husband and a wife or maybe a dating relationship. If you don't get close to the person or draw near to them or come near and gather together, then you're not going to have a very strong relationship, are you? Now, I think about this consistently. But to try and hold a marriage together if you were never together would be very hard, wouldn't it? Like if you never were around. You weren't in the same house. You didn't talk. You didn't meet together. You didn't go out on dates. You didn't eat together. You didn't do anything together. How are you gonna keep your marriage relationship together? Now listen, I know that there are some who maybe do it, but I don't know how that would be a beneficial relationship. But the idea is that when I draw closer to God, he's already pursuing me that as I come near, he's gonna become even what? Closer. He's gonna draw me closer and closer that I can be next to him, I can hear his heart, that he speaks to me through his word. And listen, I want, I want you to understand what this whole idea of come near to God and he will come near to you means. Listen to this. In the following verses, he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Listen, listen to what I want you to understand. Drawing near to God is an understanding that we have to know the sincerity and the seriousness of sin in each one of our lives. Listen to what he says. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What we begin to understand here is this, that there is a need for sincere and radical repentance in the lives of believers from our sinful ways, that we must deal seriously with sin in our own life before we worry about the sins in everybody else's life. Do you get that picture? Matter of fact, there's a, a part in Matthew chapter seven where it says, deal with the what in your own eye? The log in your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. In order to come near to God, we have to understand that God wants a close, intimate relationship with us, but most of the time as a result of sin, that sin keeps us at a distance from God. Our own personal sin is the very thing that keeps us at a distance from God. In other words, it's things like this. I don't really need God's word in my life. That's just a suggestion. I don't need prayer and I don't need to spend time in prayer because you know, I'll just give God props when I need to do it. A lot of times our sin can come just in the very simple ways of being callous and careless in most of our relationship with God. 
I believe wholeheartedly that sin is what separates us from God. And listen to what he says. Wash your hands, you sinners. That carries the idea of an outside, a clean outside. In other words, what I do. But then he jumps in and he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you know anything about James, in James chapter one, he says, the weak man or the man who has no wisdom is the double-minded man. In other words, the double-minded man is one who says, hey, I'm gonna follow God. Oh, wait a second. No, I'm gonna follow the world. Oh, hey, I'm gonna try and choose wise decisions. Nope, I'm going to be unwise. I'm going to choose these ways. A double-minded man is weak in the faith. And so what he carries on is this. He says, wash your hands. In other words, pay attention to your actions and purify your hearts. The reason your actions matter is because your actions reflect what's going on in your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so James is unleashing a barrage of truth upon these believers who said they were close to God, but at the same time weren't because of the result of sin. And that sin, remember, there was favoritism. They were quick to speak. They were quick to cast judgment. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is important for us to understand. If we want to draw near to God or come near to God, then we have to take our sin, our own personal sin, very seriously. When we don't take sin seriously, then we're unable to draw near to God. See, I believe in most believers' lives, it's easier to look at everybody else and go, that's sin. That's their sin. That's their problem. Those are those issues. And in reality, what he says, again, Matthew chapter seven, quit looking at the speck in your brother's eye and start looking at the log in your own eye, right? It's important that we evaluate our lives in order to draw near to God or come near to God that we have to take the sin in our own lives very seriously. And number three, the antidote to worldliness and sin is humble submission and drawing near to God. So we talk about submission. We talked about drawing near, but I wanna get to number three. What's number three? How do I abstain from worldliness? You humble yourself before the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Listen, one of the things that humility or or why humility is, is spoken to here is if you remember, there was a lot of mistreatment by the church that James is addressing, this church, this gathered group of believers who have been scattered as a result of persecution, but who had let worldliness creep in. I believe is this, their humility was lacking. And pride was evident. And the reason pride was evident is because of what James is dealing with. Pride is evident when we're slow to listen because we shut off our ears and we engage our mouths to be quick to speak. And all of those things are things that show pride is evident. See, humility goes a long way with dealing with anger and frustration. Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But listen, Whenever anger is arising, usually there is not far behind it, or the reason anger arises is because pride is there first and foremost. Humility goes a long way with dealing with anger and frustration. And listen, humility in the Lord 
leads to God lifting you up because that's what he says. Listen to what he says again. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, pride leads us to pushing away from God by creating a division with others. A matter of fact, that's one of the things that most individuals struggle with when they start to leave a church or when they start to give up on church and stop attending. There's usually a conflict that is ri- has, has risen up amongst a couple believers. And as a result of that conflict that has risen up among a couple believers, then what ends up happening is pride wells up. And so we push ourselves not only away from those believers, but we push ourselves away from God. And when we push ourselves away from God, that's not drawing near to God. That's just pride welling up and saying, look, I'm not going to confess my sins. I'm not going to look deep within and look at what I brought to the problem. I'm going to look at the speck in my brother's eye and I'm going to look at what they brought to the problem. This is why when I deal with counseling in different situations where I know people are in conflict and I hear one side of the story and I hear the other side of the story, I'm gonna tell you how I always line up. Somewhere in the middle there, there's some truth on both sides, but neither one wanna admit where they're wrong. They always just wanna point at the other person. Now listen, that's what a parent has to do all the time because you're not around your son or daughter when they're going at it and about to strangle each other All you get is the son saying, this is what happened. The daughter's going, no, this is what happened. And you're going, okay, somewhere in the middle is the truth. Pride always leads us to problems. I hope you remember that. Pride will always lead to problems. But humility will always lead to reconciliation. Listen, one of the biggest struggles I've ever had to do is when I feel like I am not wrong, but at the same time to claim, obviously, listen, obviously I have done something that offended you. And please hear me out, that I apologize for it, that I'm asking your forgiveness for it, and that I'm saying I will do whatever I can to make it right. That is not an easy thing to do. But humility leads us into that. Humility before God is always seen in humility towards others. Listen, here's what he says. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is the one who is able to save and destroy you. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Listen, I believe the reason we talk bad about others is because of pride. We make others look bad so we can make ourselves look good. Matter of fact, I say this, that your tongue should speak words of life not words of death, that in the midst of anger that you should not lash out by speaking more, but you should open up by hearing more. That in the midst of what's going on around, when you speak against others, you're actually speaking against the word and judging others. And listen, one of the things the scripture says about this is that when you judge others in that way, that same judgment is gonna be cast upon you. And so humility before the Lord always, listen, always puts others above yourself. Hence, we go back to God first, others second, me third. 
Listen, James wants to address this in a very simple way, and I believe that it's something that we all have to learn. God is willing to turn his favor towards us if sinful pride can give way to deep felt repentance and sincere humility. A deep felt repentance and a sincere humility before him. Listen, and and I want you to understand this. When we talk about this, really verses 11 and 12, we begin to understand that for some of us, maybe pride has become the little G God that sits on the throne of our life. And there is no room for two gods in your life. The Bible is very clear that you will love one and you will hate the other. And when pride rises up, when there's a lack of repentance, when there's a lack of humility, then what you show is that God is not on the throne of your heart, but rather pride and arrogance and sinfulness is. And when we give in to that, we set ourselves up for a judgment that we're willing to cast on others, but we're actually gonna be judged on ourselves. Listen, here's the thing as we wrap up. When we talk about the antidote to worldliness and sin, being humble submission in drawing near to God, I believe this wholeheartedly, that there are things that we have to begin to understand that probably got pushed to the side. But I wanna ask you this. Are you willing to submit to God's authority in your life first and foremost? That's number one. If you're not willing to submit yourself to God, then everything else doesn't matter. Because drawing near to God, if you're not willing to submit to God in the first place, isn't gonna matter. Do you submit to God's authority in your life? That means, do I submit myself to God's word over my life in everything, in every detail, in every, every little part of my life? Am I willing to submit myself to God's authority? Number two, if you're willing to submit to God's authority, are you willing to draw near to him? Are you willing to put in the time and the effort and the energy and the enthusiasm and the work to draw near to him? In other words, are you willing to read his word? And are you willing to spend some time in prayer? And are you willing to gather together with the body? And then number three, just easily thinking about this, do you humble yourself before the Lord? Because that is the overarching thing. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, then listen to me, he will lift you up. It's not a matter of position or authority of, of, of what other people can put you in into positions, but that when you are humbly obeying God and you've placed yourself under his authority and you're drawing near to him and you humble yourself to him, then he will lift you up. He will move you into the positions that he wants you in, into the authority that he wants you in. He will give you everything you need and ask for based upon when you ask, based upon his wisdom. James is huge in this. James is the most practical book in the Bible when it comes to just saying, look, if you want to be the person that God has called you to be, if you want to understand what that means, then you have to put your faith, in other words, what you've learned based upon God's word into action by doing. And here's how you do it. 
Submit, draw near, and humble yourself. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have challenged each one of us, that your spirit may be convicting and guiding some of us, that God, you desire to work in us. And God, I I pray that today, maybe there's somebody who submission is an issue. They're not willing to submit themselves under your authority as the chain of command, that you you are our king and that we should listen to you and the authority of your word, that we should change our minds and our hearts to line up with what you teach. And God, I pray just as a gathered body of believers that we would turn to you, we would draw near to you, and that as we draw near, God, you would draw near to us. You would come closer and closer so that we can know your heart and your desires. And then Lord, lastly, I pray that you would humble us that you would give us a spirit of humility, that we would look at others better than ourselves, that as we humble ourselves before you and we humbly serve others, that you would lift us up, that you would give us the influence and the impact in a community that says humility is all but gone because we are so focused on selfish desires. God, let us be people who humbly serve, who serve you and serve others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.